everyone needs a helping hand from time to time. Families that have children with special needs need it more than most. That's where we come in. The Cooper Foundation. In 2015, Craig and Christine Cooper decided it was time to lend that helping hand. Having a daughter with autism, the Coopers wanted to help families that didn't qualify for assistance. Over the last eight years, we've provided funding for communication devices, summer camps, and other items these children need. The Cooper Foundation continues year after year to extend our reach in the community. We have many projects on the horizon, including our annual fundraisers and our ADA-compliant playground project. Our dedication to children and young adults is something special. For more information, please visit thecoopfoundation.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Heidi and Tony Explore Cleveland. A podcast all about Cleveland and fun things to do. We go exploring. And we go eat. We eat lots. And we enjoy it. So join us as we share these experiences with you. And we hope that these experiences inspire you to enjoy the great city of Cleveland. Dun, 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 dun. Happy birthday, Tony! It was yesterday, but thank you. Yes. Happy birthday to me. So everybody reach out and tell Tony happy birthday. Yes, and now I'm the same age as you. I know. <laughs> yeah, we're three years from 50. We gotta have a big 50th birthday. Well, you know what? There's plenty of places where we're finding event space. Well, here's my thing. I say don't wait. Well, that's true. Have a party now. Nobody should ever wait because you never, ever know what's going to happen. I agree. I was just telling somebody that yesterday. Like, don't wait to use those vacation days. If you've got vacation days at your company and you're thinking of taking a day off, like if you want an extended weekend, take the extra day. That's a great idea. Yeah. Because some people don't take vacations like I do a week at a time to travel. Like some people need to take a day here or there. And I don't want to hear this baloney that I don't have anything to do. So I would rather not just spend the day sitting at home. Plan something. Or I bet if I went to your house, there's a project that you've been putting off. Look, I'm not just talking about vacation times, though. I'm talking about don't wait to open that bottle of champagne that you've been holding for something special. I'm talking about don't wait to do something that you've been waiting to do. Don't wait to do special things that you want to do. No, I 100% agree with you. Except for if I would try and open a bottle of champagne right now, you'd probably tell me I can't while we record. You're not allowed to do things like that while we're recording, no. I agree. Use your vacation time. Celebrate. Celebrate your birthday. And be grateful. Be appreciative of the days you have. Absolutely. So, one thing that you were asking me about that I wanted to talk about. Please, tell me about it. Cleveland ranks number nine. This is an article from 2023 from Cleveland.com. And it says... Cleveland is ranking currently number nine on the list of spring break destinations. Nice. 
Isn't that exciting? That's very exciting. I thought that was huge. That's very huge. And I went to a seminar with Destination Cleveland earlier in the year, and they said that Cleveland, typically pre-COVID, and they're starting to climb back towards this trend, but they typically get like 18 million, 20 million visitors a year. That's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. And again, you know, COVID kind of disrupted that number, but it's slowly starting to trend back up. Spectacular. Well, because as you and I are trying to share the word, Cleveland has so much to offer. Absolutely. We've got everything right here in our own backyard. We've got professional sports teams. We've got museums. We've got museums that are smaller museums. The Women's International Air and Space Museum. We have League Park. We have League Park, yes. And we have... The Western Reserve Fire Museum and Education Center. And what do they have to offer? What don't they have to offer? Exactly. That should be the question you're asking. I agree. First of all, let's get into how they got this building. The building is located... Right across the street from Progressive Field. It is. Now, I have talked to a few people that I know. A lot of people go to Progressive Field a lot. Yeah, because we're a big baseball team. Correct. Big baseball fans, the Guardians. The Guardians get into the playoffs a lot. And there's a lot of other events that happen Mm -hmm. at Progressive Field as well. Yeah, beer fest, concerts, absolutely. Right. So I talked to a few people who go there often Mm -hmm. and i was telling them how we went to the fire museum and they were like oh i didn't know there was a fire museum so the 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 next thing i said to them is how many times have you been to progressive field and they kind of giggled a little bit and they're like seriously and i was like exactly do you know where the fire museum is and their response is like no i was like it's right across the street from progressive field Definitely walking distance. Yeah. I was like, so I recommend you take a look at it. Well, to be honest with you, I'm going to be 100% honest. I never noticed it myself until you and I started this podcast and you and I started venturing towards West 25th because from where we live, we take 77 North and we get off at East 9th. Yes. And then to go to Westside Market, we hang a left onto the Bob Hope Memorial Bridge, the one with all the guardian... The guardians of transportation. And as we kept doing that, I'm like, what the heck is this little fire museum here? We got to look into this. We got to do an adventure there. So we did. (laughs) So we did. Now, one of the things about the location that we should mention is... Although we are saying it's within walking distance of Progressive Field and it's easy to get to from Progressive Field, it is not easy to get to by car. Because I told Tony, I said, I know where this place is, but I don't know how to get there. And so I put the GPS in and the GPS actually directed me to go across the bridge, make a U-turn at the end of the bridge, which I did not do. I went down a side street and turned around. Yeah, she turned around in a driveway. And then... We came back across the bridge in the opposite direction and made a a right into their parking lot. 
because they are kind of tucked away. Now, when the building was first operational, that bridge wasn't there. Correct. They do have a small parking lot on their grounds. It's very small. You park. It looks like a sidewalk. It only fits, I don't know, eight cars maybe. The lot was full when we got there. But right under the bridge next door, there is a parking lot there. You do have to pay. It is not a lot of money to pay to park there. I think it was $3 for us that day. Yeah, I think so too. You just have to scan to pay to park. There's no attendant or anything. Yeah, there's a QR code you have to scan. So it's easy to do that way. So we just parked under the bridge. You don't want to get it confused with the actual fire department that is behind the building. Right. Because there is a fire department there as well. The fire museum is the front building. It Uh, says fire museum on the building. Yes. On the side of the building, it says the Western Reserve Fire Museum and Education Center. And then when you're walking in, it has bricks embedded in the ground. Yeah, like donation bricks or like in honor of... Like memorial bricks. Right. And then you walk in and uh, that specific day, there was also a flea market. Oh, right. We did not know that there was a flea market. We didn't. So on their website, it stated that they were closing early that day. They're normally open till 4. They were closing at 2 p.m. that day. Anyways, when we walked in, the gentleman at the counter asked if we were coming from the flea market. And I looked at him like he was crazy. I was like, what? What? So he knew we were not coming (laughs) from the flea market. So we paid the $8 each admission fee. It broke the bank. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's definitely well worth the $8. And, you know, I think that that $8 goes to a good cause, especially now having toured the museum and hearing what all of their future potential projects are and what ideas they have for that museum. Well, and everything that they do. I mean, I would have paid more money than $8. Everything that they do currently, too. There is a lot of firefighting history in that building. They also do interactive fire prevention and fire safety programs for children, adults, schools, scouts, churches, and senior groups. Also for developmentally disabled. Their education center is phenomenal. This was a surprise. I had no idea that was in there. And then when he started talking about people with developmental disabilities and small children, and, you know, I know he said the other groups as well, but I was thinking... Wow, this is something I've worked in the field for so many years, and this is something we could be teaching the individuals about fire safety. Absolutely. Right. So we we were talking to Tom about this, actually. Right. And I was like, because of the fact that Heidi and I have both worked in the field for so long, I said, if one of our group homes were to call and make an appointment for this kind of training, he said, absolutely, we will get everything ready ahead of time and make sure it's ready. So when you guys come in, Mm -hmm. we will go through everything with them. I think that's spectacular. I think it's spectacular, too. And you know what? It's needed training because they don't just go over how to put out a fire like with a fire extinguisher they go over so much more and so much more like common household related accidents like your toaster catching on fire or a fire on the frying pan like one of the things he taught me that day was 
you know, people think if there's a fire in the pan to put a lid on top of the pan. Directly on top. Right. And he said, that's wrong because now your arm can get burnt. He said, you slide it across the pan to put the fire out. Still covering the fire, but protecting your hand. And stuff like that is really where accidents like first degree burns can happen. Second degree burns can happen. Things that you can prevent. It's not just about big house fires, which they go over that as well. But, you know, those little things are, are very teachable moments. Absolutely. For safety. And they show you how to use the fire extinguisher. Yes, there's different kinds of fire mm-hmm. extinguishers, and yeah. they go over that as well. They also have event space, so you can have a child's birthday party or any kind of special event and hold it at the fire museum. And that is on the second floor with views of Progressive Field and parts of downtown, views of the bridge. It was really a great event space. Tom took us through the education center. Mm -hmm. Frank was actually giving us a tour throughout the rest of the museum. And boy, was he knowledgeable. Oh, they all knew so much about everything. Frank was in the fire brigade at Republic Steel and was in the Air Force as well. He was telling us a lot about the fire museum events that are up and coming. On Sunday, June 4th, they have the Firefighters Memorial Ride starting at the Cleveland Firefighters Memorial next to First Energy Stadium. You can find out more information about that on their website as well. But staging is from 8.30 to 10.30. The ceremony is at 10.30. The processional ride is at 11. Registration begins March 1st, so we're already past that point. For the most up-to-date info, go to www.firefightersmemorialride.com. Or you can also check their website, which is uh, www.wrfmc.com. Saturday, June 17th, Steam Day at the Museum Featuring an operating 1887 steamer, they have a pumping demonstration along with special program on the history and operation of steam fire engines. Saturday, July 1st, they have Fire Apparatus Day at the museum. So they have quite a few events going on. Oh, I forgot about the luau. In August, they're also having a fundraiser, which is a luau. Oh, yeah, I wanted us to go to that. They need people's support. Learning about this stuff is necessary. The fire prevention, the education center is very important, I believe, for everybody. So if you can go and support these guys, it would be wonderful. Well, they also have membership as well that you can purchase. Yes. Individual 12-month membership is $25. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's how much it is? Yeah. I would have given that just as just to do it. Yeah. Because, I mean, again, they really have a lot of good things that they're doing and a lot of good things that they're planning for. I mean, $25 is nothing. Correct. A family membership for 12 months is $50. Wow. So you can take your kids to this education center. 
And they can actually play back there. They don't have to do the learning part of it. They've got toys and interactive things back there for the kids. Yes. And they've got big fire trucks in the middle of the building. Right. I mean, you and can't... You can't jump on them. No, anything, you can't climb around on them. But you can take your kids into this building for $50 a year. Right. And get them educated about... Fire safety and... Maybe even interested in possibly becoming a firefighter. Absolutely. For $50 a year. I didn't realize it was that inexpensive. Or I would have probably bought a membership that day. Yeah. Just because, again, when he was walking us around and giving us a tour, he was like, we have plans for this. And when they first acquired this building as a museum... They were originally using it as the fire station before the bridge. But when they actually acquired the building, they had to change out the floor. Like, there was all these city codes that they had to do to bring that building up to code to open. Even if you don't want to buy a membership, maybe $50 is out of your price range, and I get that too. You can purchase a child's ticket for $5. And children three and under are free. They also have senior tickets that are $6. So, you know, again, I think this museum is very affordable and it's also very accessible. All of the downstairs is accessible. And then if you wanted to go check out the upstairs, which we will get into, there's an elevator to get upstairs. But before we get into the upstairs, I think we should take a break. I agree. So we will be back after these messages. Stay tuned. If you like this podcast, We ask that you like, follow, share, or leave a review. If you visit any of the places we've talked about, please let us know about your adventures on our social media pages. We look forward to your comments. Now let's get back to our adventures. Welcome back from the break. We took a little nap. (laughs) It's that kind of day. What do we want to tell them about first? Well, I was thinking we could tell them that, I know we already started with this, but we walked in, we met Frank, he took our money, he asked us if we had come from the flea market, then we talked about our podcast to him, we said we're here because of a podcast, and he then gave us a tour, a guided tour. So they really want to get the museum publicized. They do. And like Joan said, because we met Joan later she was working the flea market and when our tour was wrapping up she was walking in the building coming back from the flea market yes as they were closing but as she said you know you can't just walk into this museum and not read things it is a museum you have to look you have to read you have to see and that's what frank did for us he basically walked around and gave us a narrated and guided tour and it was very interesting i learned a lot of things he started with the prototype for the cleveland firefighters memorial and he said have you ever seen this before and i said yes i have at brown stadium or first energy stadium and this is jumping way ahead of the game but then when we left I made Tony, I, I told Tony. She, 
<laughs> she did. She's like, I'm going to stop here in the middle of the road and you're going to jump out and you're going to get a picture of this. And I was like, no, I'm not jumping out of the car. It's big enough and we're close enough. I can get a picture while I'm in the car. Yeah. So we drove to the <laughs> memorial and we took a picture of, have you ever seen it? Had you ever seen that before? Yes. You had. Okay. I wasn't sure if you had or not, but I definitely had seen that before. I recognized it right away. We were so close to Westside Market. We were right next to the bridge, and we decided we were going to go to Westside Market, which we've been trying to make more of an effort to get to the market, yes. shopping local, which would have been so easy from where we were at the fire museum. But I said, we're going to drive all the way down to the stadium, take a picture, and come back and then we went to the west side market but that's getting ahead of the game so that's where he started our tour and then right next to it they do have a little mini gift shop right there in yeah. the building yeah there's hats there's t-shirts there's like patches yeah there's there's all kinds of stuff in that mini gift shop right then he took us into where the old fire engines or fire i don't even know what to call them trucks engines well some of them you pushed yeah, that's true. That is true. Oh my gosh, you know what I learned? And I was telling Paul when we got home, I learned that way back, what probably the 1800s, I don't remember the year, he said when you bought a house, you were required to own a bucket. Yep. And if you heard, was there a, a bell or a church bell yeah, or something? Yeah, I, I believe there was a bell or the, the, I don't know if it was the rattle things or what. Oh, yeah, maybe it was the rattles, because he, there were, in the museum, he showed us the wooden noisemakers that you have at New Year's. I had those at New Year's, but mine were tin, that you hold the handle and you spin, and the larger part spins around and makes a noise. So, anyways, when you heard whatever alert or alarm was going, you had to fill up your bucket and And run. Go running with your water. To your neighbors. Yeah. I had no idea. That's not even funny. Cause and then, the, even the buckets evolved. <laughs> yes. And he said that when you throw water, it doesn't really have much of a an effect because it kind of disperses. Yes. To the throw. So, but then some of the trucks then had the buckets on them. Yeah. They were hanging from the truck. Anyway, so yeah, so then, t- you're right, Tony, so then towards the back of the museum is a cart-looking truck, and it had... Like, almost like a rail train. Yeah, a rail train, and they had, he said, a hundred men. Yes, it took a hundred men, not because it was not only about pushing it to the location of the fire, but pumping it as well. Yeah. Because people would stand on each side of the rail like a seesaw, pumping to it. To pump the water. Right. And it took 100 men to to run the, I don't remember what it was called, but to run it right. to pump the water. To yeah. The pump. It the was fire. a pump. Yeah. And then they had these, were they plaques? Oh, for the insurance? Yeah. Yeah, they were like plaques that you needed to keep on your door. On the house, on the on door. On the house? I don't know. He, but ta- he did a lot of talking. We were paying attention. And so, and this is a week later, so we're trying to remember what he told us. He was very good at the details. We just aren't good at the memory. I just want to put that out there. Frank so, was fabulous. 
they started insurance companies, and if you didn't have insurance, they didn't put out the fire. Yes. And the way that they could tell if you had the insurance was if if they had these plaques on the house. Right. And they were they looked pretty sturdy. They were behind glass, so we couldn't feel them, but I think they were made out of, like, steel or iron or yeah, something. Yeah, something that wouldn't catch fire or melt. Right. They reminded me, and I told Frank this, I don't know if you had this as a child, but I remember in elementary school, they gave us stickers to put on our windows. And so the firefighter would know if a child was in that bedroom. Oh, no. You didn't didn't have that? No. I talked to him about that. He remembered them. But the problem with the stickers, and I asked him about these plaques as well, is that once the home changed different ownership or if a child had moved out or, you know, something like that, the stickers and probably those plaques became not relevant. Right. He told us about how they used horses to pull the pumps but the horses, but the could, horses only go so far. could only go a mile or two. Yeah. So they had to have fire stations every so many blocks, very close together. Yes. Because of that. Because of the men pushing the cart, the pump cart, and then the horses not being able to go so far. He said, if you ever see fire stations that seem like they're really close together, that's why. Yes. And at one time, Cleveland had 225 horses. And the last horse that ran in Cleveland was in 1925. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. And then they went to the trucks with the buckets hanging from the trucks. Think about this. They didn't have two-way radios in the trucks until the 1940s. Yes, I remember him saying that. The police had two-way radios, but the firefighters did not. Yeah. They also had different colored lanterns. To determine the type of fire truck that they were using. Yeah, there were all kinds of different codes of what kind of truck was needed. Some had pumps, some had buckets. They were just different kinds of fire trucks and have had different functions. So one of the things that he showed us, which was really cool, was the street alarms. Yes. So you probably have seen it in the movies, But one of the things that they have here, and this is what makes the Cleveland Fire Museum above the rest. I mean, I've not been to any of the other ones, but this this was really cool to see. Before people had phones in their homes, I mean, there was a time where not every single member of the household had a phone, right? And their own personal phones. Right. There was even a time when we were growing up where one there was one phone for all the people who lived in the house, right? With a very long cord. <laughs> right. But in the very early days, there were these red street posts or alarms, red alarms, yes. on the corners. And so if there was a fire, you would, almost like a pool station in, in a building. Like yes. If you go to like an office building or something, a pool station. And then that would trigger a signal to the command station. Yes. And it would give them an area of where the fire was. And they would have to pull the card from where that area was and look at the map and tell the fire department where it was crazy which truck to send yes 
And again, there's not two-way radios. So the firefighters on the fire truck, you know, they're just going with somebody telling them what to do, but they're not able to respond or communicate back to the command station. But eventually those were not useful because kids would come home from school and pull them. Right. Just like... (laughs) Just like any... Typical, right? Yep. Young kids, practical jokes. So, upstairs in this fire museum. Yes. And I might be getting ahead of the game, but we're talking about this red alarm Well, yeah, because it, it, it had to go somewhere. Right. Upstairs, past the event space, is this original command center. Yes. It's a switchboard. The alarm office. Yes. So in this alarm office, there's literally all these bells and lights, and it's it's crazy. It literally was the size of the room. It was a three-sided switchboard. Yeah, but it did different things for each side. Right, but it was huge. It was, yes, it was very big. So there were men who were working up there that were receiving the calls and then sending the outgoing messages. Yes. And they said Cleveland is one of the only cities that has kept their... Original... Alarm station intact. Yes, and it's because it's the whole, it's the whole thing. Right. Yeah, it's all preserved up there. Yeah. And it still works. So they have this firebox that's in the actual museum part downstairs, and you're allowed to pull the alarm. Yes. And then when you go upstairs, you see the light that lit up that's corresponding to that box. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Frank showed it to me, and he said, do you want to take a picture while the light's still on before I turn it off? I think you were talking to Danny at the time. Oh. I probably was. Yeah, but they you, it was over on the side wall, and there was a light in the middle of the wall. I took a picture of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, wow. so they put it all together for you while you're at the museum. I don't think it's when we pulled it. I think probably somebody downstairs oh, did it. Oh, sure. But you saw how the whole thing operated, which yeah, I thought was really cool. And he said that there was some guy who came from New York who actually worked in the command center or alarm center and he said this is really cool that you guys saved this because our city didn't i'm not saying new york city i don't remember what part of new york he was from but he said he actually worked in that control station and the station he worked at they didn't preserve any of it right But then upstairs also, and I don't know that everybody would get this as part of their tour, but we had Frank who took us under his wing, and he just was so educational and so informative and wanted to share with us. So he was pulling out books. Well, and part of the reason that I want, that we want to share this information is because of, these are plans that they have. Right. Up and coming. Yes. For this museum. Right. They want to create a library. Yes. Because they have original books where people actually longhand, long form in these books. And these books were huge. Somebody, I'm assuming a woman, because the The handwriting. handwriting Beautiful. (laughs) Although men back in that day could write as well. Yes, that's true. 
it was perfect penmanship and we just saw like all the documented written logs and there were just books of them and it just was so interesting all of the history that was left in that museum that they're trying to find ways to preserve and this is why i'm saying I would have just donated $50 to them for a family membership. Yes. And the book, the specific one that he showed us was from 1906. Oh, excuse me. 1906. But, I mean, that's... I mean, that's history. To have that that in writing... It's almost a 120-year history. And that book was so well-preserved. It really was. And then upstairs is Danny. He actually worked in the alarm office when it was operational. And he had a lot of stories to talk about as well. Danny is actually a retired captain from the Cleveland Fire Department after 28 years. He was up there when we got up there and he can tell you anything you want to know. They're they're all so kind there. They really were. It was such a good time. And Heidi and I always go to these small museums. This was a lot bigger than I expected. It was. And we always go to these museums and we're like, well, we're not going to be there that long. We were there for what? Two and a half hours? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was three hours. We were there for a while. I admit, I was a little sleepy that morning and I was kind of dragging and... I'm like, well, I mean, I don't think we'll be there that long. And even Paul said to me, he goes, you say that every time. And then every recording, you guys say, we were there for so many hours. (laughs) We're so, I guess, taken aback by all of the stuff that they have to offer. Well, and one of the reasons why we were at this museum for so long, which is 100% a good thing and I'm happy about it, is because the men who were giving us the tours, the men who we had met along the way of our tours, like you said, they were so friendly and kind. They all had stories to share. They were all asking us about the podcast. They were all just wanting to talk and and converse with us. And then we get caught up into that too because it's just so fun and friendly. Yes. But it just shows like they just were so welcoming. Oh, absolutely. Something else I wanted to mention, too, was how Frank was telling us how people would walk in to the museum and say, hey, so my grandfather was in the Cleveland Fire Department and blah, blah, blah. And they would go look in the records. Yes. And find out about. So he said one story in particular was the young woman came in and she said, Grandma always says... Grandpa was a firefighter and a wall fell on him. But they had no record of him as dying during a fire. Right. Well, back in that day, firefighters had two jobs. Right. And so he was a contractor. And And then he was also a firefighter. Yes. And it was his contracting job where the wall had fallen on him and killed him at work. Right. He was not killed in a fire. Right. Where a wall fell on him. And he said that the woman was so relieved to find out the actual history. Right. And I guess to know that he didn't burn to death in a fire. 
No, I agree. And, it, and he's, she said it never made sense to her that those, that's all Grandma would say. He was a firefighter and he and a wall collapsed on him. But there was no real details or connections. And so, yeah, so stuff like that where they find their family's histories and their family's legacies. And this museum in Cleveland, and again, we talk about in our own backyard, the city of Cleveland has so much to offer. And one of the things that they're offering is Cleveland history. Yes. The history of the men and hopefully some women were fighting at that time too that were saving lives. Well, and somebody else walked in and said something about their grandfather or something like that. And... They found that their grandfather's brother was right there on the wall. Oh, yeah. I remember him saying that. I think that's awesome, too. It is. And he said then they go home feeling so happy that they were able to provide a piece of the family history to that person. Yes. So a couple things that I want to mention about this place as well is that they actually have a bugle, which is a newsletter where they have articles about their museum. The museum does have bathrooms upstairs and downstairs. The bathrooms do not have changing tables. They are accessible. They're very nice bathrooms. They are. It is not pet friendly. We did ask. And this building in 2005 was declared a historical landmark. So another historical building that we went to right here in our own city. Yes, and one of the things that I thought was pretty cool is it's a city building. The museum leases it from the city. They started the lease in 2003. It's a 99-year lease. The museum opened in December of 2017. Yeah, so that's all those renovations that they had to... And they're still working on renovations. So one of the things upstairs in that event space that I keep talking about, I'm I'm still trying to plan that 50th for me. (laughs) (laughs) They want to put a kitchen off to the side in the one, I don't know if it was a closet or what that room was, but they want to make that a kitchen space. Yeah. But they had to make a lot of this up to code before they could open it. Right. And that, again, is why I keep saying just donate money to it. It's a good cause and it's a good museum. There's a lot of good history in there. A lot. He was letting us hold hoses and nozzles and just how heavy they were in the beginning and how they were... How they've evolved. Right. Over the years. Yeah. and there's so much more in the, in this museum that we're not telling you about. You know, they have TV screens showing you uh, videos of things. And, again, things that you can read throughout the museum. And so much more that you can look at throughout this museum. And, yes, it's, it's not a huge museum like the art museum. But it's well worth the money that you're going to spend to get into this place and I think you're going to want to go back. I agree with you 100%. This is definitely something to bring young kids to. They make it interactive for the kids. There's stuff in the back that, you know, the kids can go and and try things on and so forth. But it's definitely a learning museum. Oh, absolutely. It's worth a family membership of $50. 100%. All right. Another great find And another great adventure. Absolutely. Highly recommend. 
please go if you have not been. All right. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time. Heidi and Tony Explore Cleveland was created and produced by Heidi Johnson and Tony Gambino. Please contact us if you are a listener and have suggestions of where we should go next. Or if you're a local business and you would like us to visit and share our experience, please email us at exploringclevelandht at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong to the content creators and not the business, organization, affiliates, or their employees. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. All rights reserved.